Hello everyone and welcome to Changing Conversations with me, Billy Burke. And me, Sarah Philp. We're really glad you've joined us on this podcast. This podcast is all about changing conversation. Conversation is one of the oldest ways to nurture the conditions for growth and improvement. We come alive when we talk about what's important to us and it's this that has the potential to guide us into new and different ways of being and offer the potential for great things. In this podcast, we want to explore the big questions and the small questions. It's a place for thinking and conversations that hold the potential for change. You will hear from us as well as some of our guests. We would love to hear from you and for you to get involved. You can also follow us on Twitter at Changing Conversations. Tracy Ezard is an educational consultant and author, and in this conversation we learn some of the thinking behind her most recent book, Ferocious Warmth. Tracy argues that working together and learning together brings joy, and we need to hang on to that in schools, especially at these times when things seem to be just as challenging as they've ever been. She talks about collective growth mindset over individual growth mindset, essentially culture and the leadership climate that is needed to create the right environment for growth. She asks if we actually have the right conversations, transformational and not just transactional. And she gives us some examples from her experience of working in Australia, um, talking about high challenge and high support leadership, that we need both. We even get into the, the discussion about a key word, which is love in our work. We're not always comfortable about using that word, but plenty of us love what we do. We love the communities that we serve. She talks about care and compassion as key. Essentially, this is about the how of the work that we do, and not just the what, and the centrality of culture in building great teams and great schools. The importance of open and honest conversations and this comes up so often in our discussions, this um, centrality of trust. So enjoy, I think you will, and you might even want to listen twice. There's a lot in this conversation. Enjoy. Tracy, it's lovely to see you. How are you today? I'm well, thanks, Sarah. It's really lovely to be with you from the other side of the globe. I know. I love that we get to speak to people from the other side of the world and all around the world as well. It's a great opportunity. Um, I was thinking back to how we first met or well, we didn't meet until just now, really, but how I first kind of came across your work. And it was through um, I think it was probably through some of the visible learning work I was doing and the people that I connected with through through Twitter. And then I came across you on Twitter. And since um Nobody will be surprised to hear this, bought your books because I do like buy, buying and reading books. Um, and I've kind of followed the different different paths and, and the different lines of your work over the time. But for those of you who've maybe not come across your, your work before, can you just give us a bit of an outline and a bit of a story about who you are and what you do? Uh, my background is in education, so I was a primary teacher uh, for many years. My last role was an assistant principal in uh, the state system in Victoria, uh, uh, Australia. 
And um, over the last 17 years, I've run my own business around working, especially in educational leadership. I was always fascinated by the patterns of, of leadership, the impact of leadership, and also the culture of the schools that I was in. And I worked in a, a various other sectors as well. And um, so I started working around emotional intelligence on, on how do we do leadership that actually brings out the best in others. Uh, and, and a lot of my first work was around how do we build strong collaborative learning cultures. So I've been doing that for a lot of years now. And that's where my first book, The Buzz, came from you know that 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 feeling that you get when you're in a school or a team where there is that thriving buzz there's that energy about not only that we like each other as people as human beings but also that we do the really deep work around learning and transforming pedagogy um, uh, helping helping our students be their very best and but also helping us to be our very best as well so that emerged at the same time as the doing work with leaders uh, around around what what is it we're trying to achieve in our schools strategy um, uh, how how do we lead the really tricky human side of the work and so trust psychological safety creating an, an environment where we can be vulnerable to be learners together that's really where I love playing and working with schools and with school systems. Um, and then, you know, more recently, my own concept of ferocious warmth came out. So that's the last book, uh, which is all about uh, our ability to lead from a head and a heart space. And that's because I've just been exposed to so many great exemplars of leadership, uh, but also non-exemplars. <laughs> what is it that does not work? And what is it that creates an environment where we don't deeply learn together where we're in resistance we're in an environment of culture where there's either toxicity or just a status quo you know just the way we've always done it is just fine and we know in education that we can't do that um we can't sustain that and so i love working with leaders who really want to make a change and they really want to transform and help their people to thrive so their students thrive yeah yeah um just that you mentioned the word buzz there and you, you said you know we love that buzz and the feeling of that buzz and there was a, such an energy when you when you talked about it there and I guess that's one of the things many many schools many people have missed over the while is that kind of coming together phys physically in real life as opposed to on screen which has been great and is really useful um do you notice anything from your side as people come back together? Is that different? Is it harder? Is it slower to, to go? Or is it people just jumping straight back in? And oh, I, I just think people jumping straight back in. I, I remember my first, I went up to Queensland. So I jumped on a plane. First time I'd been on a plane for however. <laughs> this was um, at the end of last year, actually. We There, there was um, a group of principals from Queensland schools got together and it was just, and it has continued to go on, I think. It's just yeah. this joy of being in the room together. Or when I go into a school of just, you know, let's talk about this stuff. Let's talk yeah. about how we connect. Let's talk about how working together is a social activity and learning together is a social activity and how much we uh, we actually enjoy being in the same space. And I think just like students came back going, we really miss being together in school. Yeah. Um, the adults having joy around being together it's it's been something I would love to bottle I'd love to bottle that so that when we're feeling a little bit when we're feeling a little bit tired at the end of a term or at the end of a school year we could just take a big glug of it and go <laughs> hang on, 
let's let's just remember how how important this connection is this this yeah. working together oh if only we could bottle it eh? <laughs> I know, <wouldn't> it? <laughs> that would be amazing um <laughs> so your your work has led you you said to this idea of ferocious warmth and that head and the heart so can you tell us a bit more about what is ferocious warmth and what, what yeah. is it not, I suppose, as well? Because sometimes we find it easier yeah. to understand from what it's not than what it is. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. It, look, it look, really emerged from what, what is it that I see in leaders or saw in leaders? And what is also the evidence base? What is the research showing us around what great leadership is in our complex 21st century environments? Um, and, you know, one of the things... It, it really led from the buzzword of I know that there are three pillars that really create that strong culture. And mm -hmm. one is that that ability to be able to build a really strong collective growth mindset, which I think is different to an individual growth mindset. It's yeah. the collective um, of that where we are in this together. And it takes really good leadership to be able to create that environment. Um, it's also about how do we create a compelling environment to work together. So the energy that we create together, the interactions we have, um, the, the structures that we have, the systems that help us to work together in a useful way. Mm -hmm. And then the last part of the, the buzz pillars is do we talk about the right stuff? And do we talk about it in a way that helps people have transformational conversations, not transactional ones? And again and again, I would see these patterns of leaders who could create these three main areas of the mindset with the people, the, the environment and the dialogue. Um, and I, I was working with a, a fantastic leader, uh, Claudine Moncur-White, and she came into a school where there had been seven principals in nine years wow. and uh, really low attendance rates high First Nations population, um, which, you know, our education system has always cha been challenged with actually providing great education that engages and works for uh, First Nations people in Australia. It's something we're still grappling with. There's such good work going on, but it's but it's really challenging work. And, um, and a very transient school population uh, of teachers, she came in and totally changed their culture. And she did it through two lenses. She mm -hmm. did it through having high expectations and having high levels of support. So high challenge, high support. Her ability to come from a space of the heart, to become with, with, with love for her people, love for the students that in that school, love for the parents who turned up mm -hmm. and she would greet them every morning as they came in the, in the, in the gate. But at the same time, from it com from in coming from a very strategic head perspective of setting a really strong vision for the school, having high expectations around what was acceptable and what wasn't in terms of behaviour and rigour, and bringing those together. And that really, for me, was the, the start of this concept of we need to have both. We need to have both the high challenge, the, the head, the strategy, the thinking, but we also, how critical the heart and empathy is. And for me, doing a lot of work in emotional intelligence over the years, I think for me, that's been a missing piece mm. when we go straight always to the results, to the measurements, to the KPIs, and mm. we forget about the value of people, bringing out the best in people. Um, so that's where it sort of came from, that, that idea of why should it be one over the other? Actually, yeah. the best leaders I've seen and I, I'd be really interested in, in, in your perspective and Billy's perspective around this, the best leaders I've seen have been able to bring them together in solidarity 
Uh, knowing when to do what I call that daily dance of pulling one more than the other, depending on the context. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Does that resonate for you in terms of your experiences? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely does. And you're making me think about a residential, a leadership residential I was on uh, recently where one of the, the kind of key things the group kept coming back to was around love. And there was a bit of a discussion around, is that okay to talk about <laughs> You know, is it okay to talk about love in the context of work or in the context of a school? And it was a, there was a really interesting um, conversation around how easy that might be for early years colleagues to talk about love. Mm. Okay in primary, feeling not so okay in secondary. And actually, what like how has that come about? And what is that about? And how do we how do we find a space for that? Um, yeah. Yeah. And I have a I have a chapter in the book called that word dot 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 love. Okay. Uh, <laughs> because uh, I I interviewed um, um, many ferocious warmth leaders around this, and I said, tell me about love. Where does it fit for you? And yes. I I use C.S. Lewis's four loves mm. uh, that we're not talking about eros love. We're not talking about romantic love. We're not talking about yes. sexual love. We are talking about agape and filial love of I love your humanness, I love what you bring to this place, yes. I see you as a human being and I don't think we should be afraid of that. Uh, I was talking to um, Nathan, who's a, one of the exemplars in the book, I saw him at the National Conference, um, ACL Conference, our Educational Leaders Conference last yeah. week, and we were talking about that. He goes, yeah, you absolutely can't put your hand around, uh, you know, year 10, boys, I love you, I love you, mate. But what you can do is you can share, show that deep care and compassion for humans. So what word works for you that, that is about that deep yeah. deeper relationship than just you're a student in my school? And yeah. Linda McIntyre, who's a, a great um, supervisor of schools over in Boston, she was a principal that I met when she came out here to work with us in Australia around a few things. She was brought out by a great group, Education Change Makers, and she took a turnaround school. So a turnaround school is ones that, you know, failing on all measures that we might have. And uh, she totally changed the culture. She was able to recruit students who just, uh, sorry, recruit teachers. Mm -hmm. And she recruited on the basis of being able to build strong relationships. And mm -hmm. she gets on a soapbox of love. She says, yeah. every student deserves love. They yeah. deserve a loving relationship that is a deep caring relationship. And every student should have someone that has that for them. And so they created this school that actually felt their students felt like they felt seen, they yeah. felt supported through really, really challenging environments that might come, uh, come from their homes. She yeah. turned up to every hat one's house, knocked on the door and went and spent time in their environment, getting to know them, um, and unashamedly says it is about having a love for your students and the work that you do. Yeah. So I'm totally with you. I I I think we need to talk more around deep connection between yeah. us as human beings, whatever we might call it. Yeah, absolutely. That deep connection. And you also said there about there's that daily dance that you need to do. And it might even almost be an hourly dance or a minute by minute dance between the head absolutely. and the heart. And I guess what that must require is is a high level of self-awareness and kind of reflexivity if that's a word to be able to notice when you're being pulled in different directions and what's needed and where you are in any moment in time 
Yep. Self-awareness is just so key to this. And yeah. when I work with leaders around this, you know, it's the I use the infinity symbol. So that's the method, sort of the metaphoric dance of energy that comes yeah. from the head and the heart, depending on the context. If we're not aware, we have a default of one of those that we go to. Yes. You know, and you mentioned, you know, some of the things that we learn from what not to do. Yeah. Um, if we know that we have more of a default to go more to the relationships, go more to the heart mm. or go more to the head, more to the cognitive, they're really useful to go. They're my strengths, but my strengths can also turn to shadows. Mm. So if I have high levels of empathy, I can also go to avoid the harder conversations because I have so much empathy for people that I'm worried that I'm going to upset them. Um, if I am really results driven and I'm very strategic and objective, those strengths can turn to shadows and I can be seen as being very aloof and very on high and not connected to people. Mm. Um, and these can take us into what I call the fragile leadership. They're the dark leadership sides where if I'm very cognitive, very um, uh, my reasoning is very logical and very task oriented, I can mm. have a really driving need to be right and become what I call the fearsome leader who mm. it's my way or the highway, yeah. you know. I don't, I, don't, I don't care what you think, this is what we're doing. And those leaders, especially when we're stuck there, we can inflict trauma on people. Yeah. But just as much on the other side, if I'm very heart-driven, I can get into unhealthy, drama-filled relationships mm. uh, where it can be very clicky. I can have, you know, the, the, the rescuer tendency. I can uh, create drama wherever I go rather than yeah. having that really healthy relationship. I call them, uh, when we go there, the enmeshed leadership and so these extremes, this is where we sit on the extremes of that infinity symbol. We're not in the centre pulling from both, depending on the context. And you're absolutely right. There's sometimes we need to pull more in our heart in one moment and in the very next moment we need to up the stakes yeah. and we need to up and say, hang on, this, is, this, isn't, this isn't right or, you know, what are the boundaries that we need? Yeah. So that exploration I find fascinating you know and it's a great opportunity to go and delve more into our personal space yeah. that we bring to the professional leader that we are uh, absolutely um and I love the phrase you use there strengths can turn to shadows because I think it, there's a that just has a, a for me a kind of more accessible a better energy about it rather than what are your strengths and your weaknesses they always feel, feel very black and white and we know it's never as straightforward as that, but the idea that your strengths actually can also become your shadows, I think it's a lovely turn of phrase. And I imagine a lot of people will be able to connect with that as well. Yeah. And I have um, I have strength cards that I have the, the, the head and heart strengths on them. And people do really interesting things of, I was just working with a bunch of principals yesterday of pulling out what are the strengths that I see in myself, but also having colleagues talk about what are the strengths we see in each other. Yeah. But then I have the shadows on the back. And, mm. and when we go into extremes and we bump out of the centre of the infinity um, symbol and we go more to our head or our heart, it's really interesting when people turn over things and go, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, I know I'm really open, but occasionally they can turn into total oversharing. Or yeah. I know that I'm nurturing, but, gee, sometimes that can actually make me feel a bit victim when no one's looking after me. Or I can get very, um, uh, you know, very um, objective, but, gee, yep, I can actually go a bit aloof. Yeah, when I'm being too objective. So how do I? And then the 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 key to that is, if I know that one of my head strengths is going to a shadow, how do I step into my heart? Yes, to pull me back to center. 
just like the tightrope walker. Yeah. If I yeah. know I've got my head, my heart strengths are going yeah. into their shadows, how do I pull more from being strategic or objective or connecting to my purpose? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, and as you said, it's it is that inner work, isn't it? It's understanding that inner life that we bring to that professional life, that external life that we have. Um, and I guess that requires a, a very safe space to explore that. And I guess that's where we started talking about the, the kind of the safety um, and creating an environment for those kind of conversations. Yeah. And yeah, I, I, for me, it's the psychological safety. It's a space that I work a lot with, in, with just, not, not just with leaders, but with whole, whole teams, whole schools around how are we creating the psychological safety to take risks together, yeah. to be vulnerable together and actually share where we might be feeling a bit wobbly, yeah. uh, where we're feeling confident. Um, stepping into the courage together uh, takes a vulnerability. Um, so I think this this is encourage this encourages us as a culture to talk more deeply about how we do our work, yes. not just the work. And yes. I think sometimes we can be, play it safe mm -hmm. by just talking about the work, but the work doesn't gain momentum unless mm -hmm. we start talking about the cultural how of our environment to be able to have the harder conversations, the more rigorous conversations, the more heartfelt conversations. Yeah. Yeah, the gritty ones, but where there's that yeah. between. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Robust debate. I think as a as in education, I don't think we're good at good, robust debate that's not personal. Like, why yeah. is that? Like we're good at talking. Why do we find it so difficult to say, let's you and I have a really honest, open yeah. conversation? No. And I, you know, I'll ask people what is it we want from each other when it comes to conversation? Open and honest come up. As the two top yeah. that people say, and I just throw it back and go, no, you don't. No, we don't. <laughs> we, want, we don't really want people to be honest with you with us because when we we have honesty, all of a sudden we put up our defensiveness and we get narky with the way people have said it to us, and we come up with all these reasons not to actually listen to what someone might have said with the best of intentions. So I think we've got to take a good hard look at how well we actually cope with having good, open, honest conversations. How do we get better at them? Absolutely. It's a great skill. Um, tell us tell us more about the four elements of ferocious warmth. Yeah. Um, just when I was interviewing, when I've been observing leaders over the, my career, there just seems to be these four elements that really stand to hold people steady so that they can manage that that being on the boat and having to, to move from head and heart all the time and recalibrate and get back in balance. The first one's the expansive element. And the expansive element is the being the lead learner. Um, if we take from Professor Michael Fullan's work, Vivian Robinson's work around the lead learner, uh, for me it is, am I the learner uh, that, that is able to show people, am I a leader that learns, not a leader that has learnt? Am I able to step into that learning space with the people that I work with? But also, am I willing to challenge my own status quo around the way I might do things? So that expansive leader is the one that's always shifting their model of the world. You know, do I listen to podcasts like yours that that provoke my thinking? Do I seek out other educators and people outside education to, to challenge me around my thinking? So the expansive element is that, but it also has a second part to it, which is do I 
create environments where others can be learners as well. So do I create that learning culture? Mm-hmm. Um, because I'm so, as the lead learner, I'm so impactful on that psychological safety, yeah. on that ability to have the, the questions um, and, and the and the curiosity and the listening to be able to invite people in mm-hmm. to learn. So that expansive element, I think, is is it's core to what we do is create this learning environment. Um, so that's the first one. The, the second one is connected. So and that is all about the emotional intelligence. So it's the very much the heart space yeah. um, of connecting people to what we're doing, connecting people to the purpose but also connecting people to each other and connecting myself to them as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that 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 feeling of being seen and valued, yeah, I think it's a critical piece of our work together mm-hmm. um, as connected leaders. And I think our, our we if if we know that that's not our skill, it is our responsibility to build that skill because leaders are about leading people, yeah, not leading strategy. Strategy yeah. comes through having people to lead and do that strategy. So leading people is first. Yeah. Leading our communities, connecting with our parents, uh, yeah. all of that is about heart work. Yeah. Um, so that it's that that key element. Um, the next one is authenticity, and you know, uh, being the person that people can rely on to have a humility around us that we're always trying to get better. We're always trying to to be the person that's willing to say, I stuffed up there. You know, I don't know whether you say that term in school, <laughs> but in, uh, in Australia, we say, I stuffed up, you know, uh, when we make a mistake. And, you know, let's stop having this facade that we don't make mistakes because how can we get improvement mm. if we're not failing and failing fast and and trying stuff out and, and doing things with a humility that says, let's give this a go rather than having to have everything perfect. Mm, because nothing is ever going to be perfect when we're trying to do what we're doing in education with the complexity that we're facing Mm -hmm. how do we how do we give things a go and really look at the impact Mm -hmm. um, and be authentic about it and and know that we have to do that with other people and let other people see us so I think that authenticity is all about I am who you see and I'm always trying to bring my best self to my work and I'm going to muck up and I'm not always going to get it right. But you're going to see me always trying to do that. Yeah. And then, yeah. I was just going to say on that word authenticity, I think it's one of those words that gets used a lot, but we don't necessarily really know what it what it is. Or sometimes it feels like it can get used as an excuse for certain Absolutely. things. Absolutely. Yeah. I totally agree with you. And I will often say to leaders, I, you know, do we do we swap out the maths teacher when they've got to teach calculus because they can't teach calculus? And so we go, that's okay, that's all right. Let's just get another teacher in to teach that unit. No, yeah. we encourage and we support the, the the teacher to build their skills around calculus. So why is it as leaders we go, oh, I'm not a people person. I have my deputy that does the people stuff. Yeah. I just think that that is that that's not what leadership is all about uh, leadership is about saying i'm my my real self is about people uh, yeah. but maybe i haven't worked on those skills for a while yeah. so the authentic leader says my job is to build those skills and not use it as an excuse to say i don't do that stuff mm-hmm. uh that's not my skill set mm-hmm. uh, if you're a leader it kind of is yeah yeah <laughs> 
So, Absolutely. and just as much on the other side, it is our role to be able to get good at doing strategy, to be good at resourcing, goal clarification, the head stuff. Is if if that's not our skill, that's important for us to to learn. But my experience in this space is that leaders who understand that they are they are more weighted towards the people side, the relationship side, they know they have to build the other side. Yeah. Whereas sometimes it can be harder for us if we're very driven by the cognitive, by the logic. Yeah. We can sometimes minimise the people stuff and call it the fluffy stuff, call it the warm yeah. and fuzzy stuff, yeah. where it's actually the stuff that drives our motivation. Or the soft skills. The soft skills that are <laughs> the thing that take up most of our energy and are the hardest of all to do. So yeah. how about we stop using that as a terminology because it minimises it, yeah. it is, it's it's, a, it's almost a derogatory term, is it, yeah. the soft skills, because it's the hardest work to yeah. actually do. Yeah. yeah. Language is so important, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. And there's one there's one more element that comes in, and, yeah. and it's the courageous skill. And that's that one that says we do have to put the line in the sand around what we're trying to do in education. We do have to have a moral purpose. We have to take a tough stance uh, about the things that matter. So what destinations are we going to that matter? Yeah. And are, are we pushing around those? And um, do we and, and do we then do that courageous stand with love? So this is where we bring the ferocious warmth together because courage that is harsh mm -hmm. and belittling and punishing, that's not courage. That that's that's hard-edged drag everyone with us whereas when we are courageous and we bring people with us by being having a lot of integrity around our values and our principles that's when we're using our heart as well to actually call people to arms around the important stuff yeah there's um there really is a dance isn't there there's that duality and that balance and that that movement of kind of energy between the two and i love the symbol that you use for that because i think it it just captures it beautifully but how how do we then do that you know we can know we're in it we can know we're over here and we need to be over there but how do we how do we enact that are there are there things that we can do to enable ourselves to be in that space yeah well I think first off as you mentioned before it's self-awareness it's identifying yeah. Where is it that the impact that I'm after with the leadership that I have or the leadership team that we have is, is not actually what we would want it to be? So we've got to be doing those pauses. We've mm -hmm. got to be doing, that's why I put in the book, I put reflective pauses so yeah. that people that ask curious questions because that creates that space for us to really do that self-awareness, yeah. asking the questions of are we getting where we want to go to, you know, we've got so many different, you know, school opinion surveys, data around us that gives us insight as to whether yeah. we're getting where we want to go. Mm -hmm. um, so first up, that self-awareness is important. And then I think pausing. Yeah. And, you know, I'll have a lot of people say to me now, you know, what I, I spoke to a, a group in a mentoring program I do today, and we've been looking at what are the triggers that put me out of balance. So mm -hmm. self-awareness would say, whoa, I know that when that that person says something to me, all of a sudden, I know that I go into a really competitive, I must be right space. Yeah. Right? So I go very head driven. <laughs> uh, and so even knowing that trigger allows me to go, okay, how can I step more into being curious about what they think? Mm -hmm. 
how can I challenge myself about do I have to be right about this or is it maybe I am right but how can I have a conversation that's a partnership conversation where what I need to step into is curiosity and empathy about where they might come from yeah so I think we're you know education leaders are in such a high pressure space that we can if we if we're on top of ourselves we can actually go oh I can see that I'm spiraling up here into looking at the world in one with yeah. one perspective how do I stop sit ask some questions of myself or ask a colleague who can give me some good coaching questions mm -hmm. to get me out of where I might be fixed Mm -hmm. So I, I think we've got all these skills around us. We've got these great people who can often see when we're stuck. Yeah. But we don't necessarily ask them to give us some insight on how to get unstuck. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, even, even I find, you know, principals will say to me, just understanding that I go more to the head has given me the insight to go, oh, where am I, am I sitting too much to that side or too much to the heart? Where yeah. are the boundaries I need to put in here? So yeah. I think there's, there's easy ways just to even stop ourselves around, around that. Um, but okay. it is a daily dance. And I think if we are really stressed, yeah. it's going to be harder and harder for us. So rather than see, I don't know about what's going on for you in Scotland, but, but certainly we've, we, we do a lot of work. There's, a lot, there's been an 11-year survey around principal wellbeing here. And, okay. you know, the results are terrible in terms of, yeah the well-being of the principles and it's something I'm really passionate about but I think we need to not see that school leader well-being is the bucket that we go and dive into every now and again <laughs> that actually for us to be in the centre and be balanced leaders we need to be absolutely having self-compassion self-care the, the ways we look after ourselves built into every day yeah. How many principal, how many people that are listening to your podcast would be, I'm really good at telling everyone else to do that. <laughs> yeah. I don't do it myself. And yeah. I worry that what we have is fragile leaders who mm -hmm. are pushing themselves so much and not looking after themselves. We can't be that balanced leader. We ha can't have that self-awareness because we're so much in habit. Yeah. So and I think sometimes we separate out well-being from kind of being able to do our jobs if you like yeah. you know, it's almost like that's a separate thing that's that's a separate right. focus and I think we separate them too much that actually it becomes easy to almost ignore the well-being or it becomes a dirty word in some ways um, but actually it's so integrated to our capacity for regulation our capacity for thinking our capacity for decision making and yeah. and we're not kind of quite grasping that it feels like that's absolutely so I think rather than the bucket on the side yeah if we think of the infinity symbol the infinity that it should be absolutely it is a leadership behavior it, it yeah. should be a leadership behavior is self-care so yeah. because otherwise we go to the extremities and we go to that fearsome leader we go to that enmeshed leader so well-being is a leadership behavior rather than a leadership add-on yeah I like that yeah we should absolutely be doing that so, and it's more and more those conversations that I'm having with leaders is the ferocious warmth approach allows them to see that and almost give, it's ridiculous we have to do it, but give ourselves permission to do it. Because if I don't, maybe I am going to those extremes more often than not. And, you know, I've been having so many conversations with people this year around the fact that 
yeah, we've we've been putting it out to other people. We haven't been looking after ourselves as much and we're going to the extremities. And the impact of that is really negative. We either yeah. create drama or we inflict trauma on people. Yeah. We don't want to do that. You know, no. everyone's got a positive intent. Yeah, I was going to say, nobody sets out to do that. No, <laughs> nobody, nobody would be pleased with that. That was their day's work at the end of the day. No. But, um, yeah. yeah. I guess one thing I'm noticing as we're as we're talking here, we're talking a lot about emotion and there's a lot of language around that. Um, I don't know what your observations are, but do you think we have enough of that emotional language? Are we good enough with that emotional language, particularly the nuance of it? Um, or do you think we tend to be a bit stuck in the more obvious spaces? Yeah, yeah. I reckon you know what my answer's going to be on this one. <laughs> I, I just don't think we talk enough at all about how we do stuff um, and yeah. our, our emotional well-being. Our, our, the, so, you know, if you think about the buzz that I mentioned before, yeah. that's about an energy between people. Yeah. So, you know, have you ever been in a, in a room where someone walks in and it's almost like the icicles form from yes. the roof? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, we don't talk about that enough. We don't talk about what is the, I, the a question that I usually start with when I talk with leaders around this is or even just school staff what in, what infection do you spread you know mm. which is you know really dangerous when we're talking uh, and, <laughs> no. you know, but uh, if emotions are contagious what infection do you spread and if you are, are really aware that the, the infection you're spreading is not one you want to spread yeah. it might be one of resistance of um uh, aggression, uh, aggression, or withdrawal, or whatever yeah. it might be. What are what am I doing for myself to shift that? But yeah. also, what's going on in the culture that that if that's a prevalent feeling? Mm -hmm. So I know when I work with schools that are sort of lower, I have a buzz diagnostic that's had about eleven thousand people go through it, and yeah. you know when schools come out on the lower levels of that collaboration co uh, culture ladder, yeah, I absolutely know that there is a lot of uh, feelings and, and energy going on in that culture that is not helping anyone. Mm -hmm. um, and it may be um, un underperformance stuff that is coming out of it, but there will be under unprofessional behaviour. There will be people that absolutely keep their heads down because it's not safe for them to stick their head up in any way. Yeah. There'll be toxicity that goes on. Now, that, that is about behaviours that have been left to fester or leadership that has allowed that to bubble or leadership that might have been modelling that yeah. behaviour as, as yeah. well. And I do, I, I think we, we whenever we, we, we build in that we talk about how we work together, mm -hmm. the culture becomes far healthier because we own what we want it to be and yeah. we own where we might be not travelling that well with it. Yeah. I think it's a critical conversation we have to have. Yeah. And I guess there's a real vulnerability in that, isn't there? Because if you're going to talk about it, there's that fear that often comes with, will I be heard? Um, will will people be OK with what I have to say? Um, and sometimes there's a fear of shame as well about how we're feeling in certain situations. And I think whenever I hear somebody talk about feeling shame, that's when I think, gosh, there's a lot of work to be done in that situation where somebody's feeling shame. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think it, it comes back again to that psychological safety. Um, you know, shame is such an interesting thing to to uh, to look at and explore and that vulnerability around 
around it. And I, I use um, Timothy Clark's four stages of psychological safety when I work with, with schools and, or, or any organisation. And uh, I love his four levels. The first one's inclusion safety. Yeah. Uh, second one's learner safety. Then it goes to contributor safety. And I refer, I use, I reference his work in my my book. The top one's challenger safety. Uh, but that that space around do I feel safe to share how I feel mm-hmm. um, is 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 that is psychological safety. And he has this really elegant definition, which is an, an environment. Psychological safety is an environment of rewarded vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And and what I ask leaders to really really think about is in the teams that you lead, in the teams that you are part of, when people show vulnerability, do they get rewarded or punished? Yeah. And punished could be just invalidated, just saying, mm-hmm. "Well, I, you know, don't feel like that." Right? As soon as you say, "Don't feel like that." Actually, we've just invalidated how someone might have been feeling and they might have stayed up all night the night before getting the bravery, the courage to be vulnerable enough to say to you, I'm not feeling right about this or I don't feel like I know what to do here. And if we go, oh, you'll be right, and we and we dismiss it, we yeah. invalidate them and we invalidate their courage around sharing that. So how do we lean in? How do we lean in? And when someone might say something to us that we get defensive about, how do we get curious and want to understand more rather yeah. than putting up and show our vulnerability? Yeah. Say, wow, oh, that, that smarts a bit, but tell me more. What is yeah. it that's going on? And and with that, I think recognising that that is the work as well, yeah. because I think Absolutely. we get really caught up in that can take a lot of time in a day, those kind of conversations. But those kind of conversations were never, in my experience, on people's to-do lists at the start of the day. So when they get to the end of the day and they reflect on how much they've achieved, they see all the things on the list that are still to do, but don't ever recognise, but actually I had those two really big conversations and they were powerful and significant, but because I can't take them off, it feels like I didn't do them. I love it. I love it. It's such a great insight into the head and the heart there uh, that we discount so much of the hard work. Yeah. The head work is the checklists. The heart work is the connection work. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's 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 really great, and it and it really leads to you know how do we have a list that actually has what's my to do list and what's yeah. my to be list. Yes. Yes, that's a good way. No, and <laughs> yeah, and what's uh, you know what is it that and uh, you know when I learned that off the great principal over here, Anthony Simone, and when he first went online with his community to remote learning, he had a whiteboard behind him. He said he came and he said, Tracy, I want to tell you what I did. I I talked to the students around, okay, so these are the things that I need to do. This is my to-do list here. But next to it, I've got my to-be list. And that is how do I want to be as a father, as a principal? So what I want you to do as a student at our school is I want you to write down your to-be list. How do you want to be through this time on remote learning? And I just said to him, I just, that is the most exquisite way to frame up all your students, A, that you are human too, but B, that you are modelling, that you are trying to consciously be the type of person that you really want to be. Um, And I think that's, we we just have so much that we model every day. Yeah, we absolutely do. And I think that's the 
perfect way to close this conversation, which I could happily continue from for much longer, but we will we'll close it there. Um, thank you, Tracy, for all your insights and your and your wisdom there. And I think a really fascinating conversation that I imagine a lot of people listening will be able to connect with in a way maybe that they don't with other concepts and ideas. I think there's something really tangible and energetic about what you've shared with us today. So thank you very much. Oh, thanks, Sarah. It's been great to have the conversation with you. And um, and uh, yeah, I really hope it, it helps people out there because, you know, people listening are doing the most complex job on the planet, I think. And um, any support that people like you and I can give them, I think, is um, is just a drop in the ocean for them, but hopefully uh, maybe a life, life buoy that they can hang on to. Absolutely. Thanks, Before Sarah. we go... Though we have two questions we ask all of our listeners. So the first question is, what are you reading at the moment? My reading at the moment is a great book called um, Dopamine Nation. Ah. And it is, yeah, so I'm, I'm sort of in between two books, which is quite funny really when, when both of them are around um, our attention deficit. Okay. <laughs> and I'm reading two books which is really quite funny. Um, so <laughs> Dopamine Nation, and it is just a brilliant one. It's by Dr. Anna. Um, I, I just want to get her. It's on my um, iPad, and I can't see her last name underneath the thing. Um, so, dop yeah, Dopamine Nation. Um, Anna Lem Lembe Lembeck. Uh -huh. Lemke. Sorry, Lemke. And I'm also reading Stolen Nation uh, by... Um, uh, Johan Hari, Hari, and he, it is all about, both of those are all about the addictions that are that are coming up and our lack of ability to be able to focus. So yeah. they're both great books. I, I've read Stolen Focus and a big fan of, of his work. And there's so much in there, I think, that we can relate to. And, and I've shared it with a, you know, recommended it to a number of people as well. And I think you know, we talked about the pause and creating the space for the pause. And I think actually that that very much connects with a lot of what he talks about in Stolen Focus as well, is that constant demand for our attention. And actually, how do we almost regain some control over our own ability to attend or choose to attend? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um, and I know you've given us all, uh, you've given us so much already, but do you have a particular quote or message that you would like to leave our listeners with? uh i just i just think it's um the world needs uh, it's a it's a quote that i use around ferocious one the, the the world needs more leaders especially education leaders with the ferocity to lead transformation but also the warmth to inspire and connect people lovely we need both so yeah lovely thank you so much um it's been a wonderful conversation and hopefully we can reconnect again in the future That'd be great. Thanks, Sarah. And thanks to everyone listening. Thank you. Thank you for listening, folks. We really value you taking the time and space to join us. And we hope that you take something positive from it. We'd love to hear your reflections. So please get involved via Twitter or contact us directly by email. Thanks again. Stay safe and take good care.